Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Stand with me as I read 1 John chapter 1. Verses 5 to 9. That's where we will be this morning. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. That We need not to come up with our own ingenuity. We do not have to come up with our own ideas. That your word is enough to guide us. And today I pray, Lord, that you will minister to our hearts. We who have been trying to run from the fellowship of the saints, that we would see that you gather us together for our own good and your glory. Bless the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is our fourth uh, means of discipleship or fourth pillar of discipleship as a church. So we started this series on our purpose, telling ourselves or looking at scripture and understanding that we exist as a church to glorify God. And we said that for us to glorify God, we need to be a cruciform disciple. We need to be people who have died to ourselves so we can serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we also said, because that's who we are, that's our nature, that's our DNA, we want to make more disciples who will die to themselves and live for Jesus. We exist as a church to make cruciform disciples. And we believe our philosophy is that for any disciple to grow in Christ-likeness, he has to grow in his knowledge of the gospel. And that is why our sermons every Sunday is centered on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then we jump to our means. What are the means that we see in the scripture which would grow every one of us in our knowledge of the gospel? So we start with responsible evangelism. We believe that evangelism should not be done in one time, big time, but that there should be constant teaching of the gospel in a loving relationship, within that loving relationship. And I hope that we're able to catch that one and you do not have to go somewhere so you can make disciples. Where God has placed you, there are people there that you meet every day. So you can have lunch with them at least once a week and continuously share the gospel to them. 
until we can bring into the church and plant them in the church. So that's responsible evangelism for us. And then we said the preaching in the church should be expository preaching, which in my own simple way, it's simply the preaching that explains and applies the text. Nothing more, nothing less. It explains the text and applies the text. And then last time we were talking about Christ-centered worship. We've seen in John chapter 4 that center to worship is Jesus. Where what God really intends, which is fellowship with us, intimacy with us, wherein our worship is not mechanical, but our worship flows from a heart humbled by the goodness of God. So we worship God from our hearts expressed in our songs expressed in our praises, expressed in how we do work, we see that worship should be Christ-centered. And today our fourth means, and that is life-to-life, gospel-centered, intentional discipleship. Which I believe life-to-life, gospel-centered, intentional discipleship happens in a community. Happens in a community where there is holy transparency. Where there is transparency of our lives, it's, it's another thing to say, I'm transparent to you, but I will continue to live this way. When you say holy transparency, I'm not saying that we are all holy with our hollow uh, right above our heads. But we're saying that we desire to be transparent to each and every one of us because we are fighting against sin. Which I realize that Maybe you are here and you are thinking, I don't want to be part of a group where there is transparency. I have been keeping my life from any intimate relationship because I find it more comfortable, convenient, safe for me to stay at a distance. And yet that's not what we find in Scripture. It took me some time to be involved in the church In our previous church, I think it took me more than a year to involve myself in the church. And the reason for that is not that I don't love the church. It's not that I don't love the preaching and the worship going on every Sunday. I loved it. But I was like a consumer who will go to church on Sunday so that I can get the product I want. But I do not want the people in the church to get involved in my life. I was able to be like that for a year or two where there are people in the church who would wait for me because they're inviting me to be part of a small group, to be part of the ministry. But I was saying no over and over again because I want to keep my life. I felt like I was enjoying the best of two worlds. I was enjoying this Sunday worship service, but at the same time, I was enjoying the world from Monday to Saturday. I don't know, maybe some of you are like that. And you are thinking, this will work. And you are deceived to think, this can work. I can just worship God on Sunday, but I can watch pornography on other days. I can worship God on Sunday, but I worship the world on other days. And I do not want people to come close because they might see my life. Well, what I realized is when I continued that kind of life, I never grew spiritually. Never grew spiritually. I was deceiving myself. I was thinking I, I was thinking I was okay when I was not. 
And I was thinking that I honor God on Sundays and he should be grateful to me that I come to him on Sundays. Why can't we afford to continue staying our distance? Why can't we afford to live that kind of life if we are seeking to grow in Christ-likeness? Let's settle this one, church, for a while. Are you here because you want to grow in Christ-likeness? Is there a desire in your heart? I want to be like Christ. This sin of mine has brought so much problem in the family. This sin of mine has hurt my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I could no longer live this kind of life. I do not want this sin. I just want to grow spiritually. Is that us? Because if that is not, I want to invite you to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to realize that you have sinned against a holy God and you are supposed to be crushed forever in hell, but Jesus died for you in the cross of Calvary, that you might not spend the rest of eternity in hell, but yet you would be worshiping God who created us. You need to understand the gospel. You need to accept that you are a sinner. You have sinned against God, and there's only one hope for you, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because maybe the reason why you do not Seek to grow in Christ-likeness because in the first place, you are not yet born spiritually. And that you are coming to church every Sunday, but you are hell-bound. There is no assurance that you are in the church that you will go to heaven when you die unless you have that personal relationship with Jesus. Why can we afford to continue staying our distance from fellow believers if we are seeking to grow in Christ-likeness? As we look at the New Testament, if you flip through the New Testament, in fact, even in the Old Testament, what we see is interconnectedness of lives. Lives of believers are interconnected. It's more intimate than we would ever know. It's more intimate than we would ever think. Some people in the early church would have to sell their properties because they love the other believers. And the New Testament is filled with the one another passages. Confess your sin to one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Bear each other's burden. And so on and so forth. And we realize they were so interconnected and that's the reason why they were able to run their race well. But today, in a time of individualism, we just gather on Sunday and we live our separate lives on other days. And nobody even knows what you're going through and the sin that you are committing. That falls short of the New Testament teaching. In our passage today, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, it commands... The gospel community to live in holiness with God and with others who also live in holiness with God. In this passage, we see that John is saying, live in holiness with God and live in holiness with those people who also live in holiness with God. And it should be pursued, this kind of community should be pursued because it seems like John is teaching that this is the way to fight sin. The way to fight sin is through a community. I will unpack that one as we move along. 
But here's our main point, that we would draw our implications, our three implications on discipleship. But through gospel fellowship, true gospel fellowship is defined by a holy fellowship with God and fellow believers where the sanctifying power of the gospel works. Catch that for a moment. The sanctifying or the transforming or the changing power of the finished work of Jesus Christ works in a community where people are seeking to live holy lives. Chapter 1 of 1 John speaks of fellowship. It speaks of fellowship, particularly a gospel fellowship, where fellowship with God in the light creates true fellowship between believers and, and again, the sanctifying power of the gospel works. The word fellowship is repeated several times in this chapter. You notice in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that the word fellowship is mentioned twice. It is mentioned twice, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship, there go. And then in verse 6, we also read the word fellowship, and in verse 7, we read the word fellowship. And if you follow through the thought of John, you will understand that he is trying to describe to us what Christian fellowship is. Want to know what a Christian fellowship is supposed to be? I mean, if you can to think about it, is this enough? Is this the church that I should join? Is this how a community of God really works? How does a Christian fellowship look like? Now notice carefully that this is not just any other fellowship. I want to emphasize on this because today non-Christians can text one another. Maybe you, can, you have done that one. Let's have fellowship in Starbucks. And we call it fellowship. Even at that time, the word fellowship is not exclusive for Christians. It is something that even the world used. Because the word fellowship simply means you share common things. And so two basketball players would have fellowship over coffee talking about who will be the champion this year. Technically, you can use the word fellowship, but that's not a Christian fellowship. John is specific in verses 1 to 3 what this fellowship is all about. And this fellowship that he's talking about here is a fellowship brought about by right confession of Jesus. With the right confession of Jesus in verses 1 to 3, John is trying to let these people understand that Jesus is not just God, but he is fully human as well. Today, we know that there are a lot of religions who says Jesus is fully human, but not God. But the problem to the people that John was writing was not that Jesus, was not that they can accept that Jesus is fully human, but not fully God. It was the reverse. They were willing to accept that Jesus is fully God, but not fully human. Because of the prevailing thought at the time, they thought that our body is evil. And so, the spirit within us is good, trapped in an evil body. And God, who is 
ultimately good, cannot be trapped in an evil body. That's how they think. And John is saying, unless you understand, or unless you accept that Jesus is fully God and fully human, you do not really believe in Jesus, and you are not part of our fellowship. You need to accept. And today, that might not be the, the thing that we're, we're facing, but today, if you think that Jesus cannot save you unless you also add good works, you do not know Jesus. You do not understand Jesus. You need to embrace the Jesus in the Scripture. And the Jesus in the Scripture is the fully God, fully man person who went to the cross to pay for your sins so that when you put your faith in him, you are saved without adding anything to his finished work. And if you will not accept that, I don't know who's the Jesus that you're believing, that's your neighbor or other Jesus, but that's not the Jesus in the scripture. And if it is not the Jesus in the scripture, you are not part of this fellowship that John is talking about here. You need to fully embrace who Christ is. What then? And he said, you have to be part of this fellowship because this is not just a fellowship of lawyers or people who have advocacies and people who are passionate for the same thing. No, he said, this is a fellowship with God in our midst, with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What then will define this fellowship? What then will define the gospel fellowship or the gospel community? What then will define the church fellowship? This is our text, verses 5 to 9. True gospel fellowship, I would say, flows from a fellowship with God in the light. True gospel fellowship flows from a fellowship with God in the light. In verses 5 to 6, if you look at your scripture, John plainly tells us that God is light. This is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light. So true gospel fellowship happens in the light and not in darkness. Because God is the center of this fellowship. Who is light? And we understand in scripture that light is always a metaphor of holiness. And darkness is always a metaphor of Sin and evil, darkness. Therefore, like darkness cannot continue if light exists. For example, when you come to your house and it's all dark, and you turn on the, you turn on the, or switch on the the light, it cannot be that there is light and darkness together. Darkness should go away if light comes. But notice carefully here, God is not in the light. God is not in the light. I'm not trying to be controversial, but that's really what the text is. God is not in the light so that there will still be corners. Like, that is a light, but there is still darkness under the table. That's why there is no darkness in God because God was not in the light like us. We are in the light, but there is still darkness in us. God is light. There's a big difference. God is the source of light. There can be no darkness in him because 
He is the source of light. If you think of the sun, you can, you can be under a shade of the tree and say there's still shade. But if you will be in the sun, I'm pretty sure there is no darkness there. This is what it says. God is light. And that's why John said, surely there is no darkness at all in him at all. Because he is light. He is not in the light. He is light. That is why if you look at verse 6, John then said, because God is light, no one can claim to have a relationship with him and live in darkness. Are you with me? No one can claim that you have this relationship with God, that you have this fellowship with God, and you live in darkness. No one. Does it mean we cannot sin? Yes, we do. But John is saying, you live in darkness. It is your lifestyle. It is what you want to do. You do not have any conviction at all in your heart when you sin against God. That's what John is referring to people, not to people who sin because Christians can sin, but people who never really experience transformation, who never really experience the change of desire. But the same desire when you had, when you took that money from your parents, is the same desire that you have today. And there's really no conviction at all. So you continue to live in darkness. You continue to live in sin. This is what John, this is the kind of people John is talking about here. That if you are that person, and yet at the same time you claim to have a relationship with God, he says you're lying. First John chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. This is John's theology. Chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandment, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The truth of the gospel is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is displayed, is perfected. That's our calling, by the way. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Our lifestyle should be changed if we are walking with God. Even, even your, think about it, even your friends can affect your life. Isn't it? Those people, you are always with them, you are fellowshipping with them. They influence you. You begin to talk like them. You begin to hate things that they hate. You begin to love things that you did not love before. But just being with that person, if that is how influential the person you are always with, think about fellowshipping with God. And this is crucial, by the way, because as we look at, continue with our study in 1 John chapter 1, we realize that if this is not true, nothing is true. It breaks the flow, the normal flow of fellowship within believers. And if there's no fellowship with God and there's no fellowship with believers, then there's no sanctification. John connected the fellowship with God very clearly as foundational to true fellowship within believers. Look at verse 6 then. But if we walk in the light, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
Look at that. Look at how he connects. That our relationship with God builds our relationship with one another. If we are not true with God, we will never be true with one another. A true gospel fellowship creates true fellowship of those who live in the light. Notice the we there. It refers to believers. We, so he is talking about believers who are also walking with God in the light. And, and those people who are living with God in the light, then they are the people who shares a common thing, who shares true fellowship. There's something I want us to notice in here that we might have overlooked, and it is the little word in. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, it speaks of location. The word in speaks of location. And we ask ourselves, where does true fellowship happens? Oh, the answer to that is not in Villa Monica. Where does true fellowship happen? It does not happen in Cinema 5 before and transferred now in Villa Monica. True fellowship does not happen in our house where we gather together. The answer to the question, where does true fellowship happen? It is in the light. It is when people come out. It is when people no longer stays in darkness. It is when people are no longer hiding anything, but they're coming out of the light. That is when true fellowship happens. So think with me for a moment. If you're somebody and you are actually hiding something and you think you are having fellowship, that's not what fellowship is. First, true fellowship happens because we are living in holiness with God. As I've said, it clearly doesn't mean perfection as we sin. But we live our lives in pursuit of holiness. What are you pursuing, by the way? What is your pursuit? What do you want to happen with your life? Which I would say definitely involves confession of our sins. Because we sin and we want to be in the light, it certainly involves confession of our sins. So fellowship means sharing something in common. And if there is something or anything that God could be sharing in common with us, would God say, I am as passionate as you are anything with basketball, we have fellowship together. I also love coffee and thing, and so I want to make, I want you to understand that we have fellowship. Every time you drink coffee, we have fellowship together. Now, if there's something that we could be sharing in common with God, it would be holiness. It's the only place that God wants to fellowship. It is what God is working in our lives that we may enjoy Him. Look at look at this. Two passages of scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Christ, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us in that knowledge, he granted us precious and very great promises. We have a lot of promises we can enjoy in the gospel of Christ, so that 
Through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. What is this divine nature he's talking? He said, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So he's talking about here sharing in the holiness of God, partaking the nature of God. I think that writer of the book of Hebrews, when he was talking about discipline, he was quite clear of this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, and we are given a reason why God disciplines us. I'd like to put verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 together. It says, For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. Why? That we may share his holiness. And that's very important because if you jump to verse 14, it says, strive. He says two things, but I'm only concerned of the second one. Strive for holiness, without which no one will enjoy the Lord. No one will see the Lord. So yes, we are saved by God through Jesus Christ. We are in Jesus. But as far as experiencing God in a deeper way, as far as intimacy with God, as far as fellowship with God, God wants to have intimacy with us in the light. He calls us to live in holiness. So if God is a man, and you text him, God, where do you want us to, to have fellowship? God would reply, in the light. Not in Starbucks, nor, no. God would reply, let's have fellowship in the light, because I cannot have fellowship in darkness. It's either you give up your sin, confess it to me so we can have intimacy, or you continue to enjoy your sin and you will not experience my intimacy. Secondly, only when we are living in the light of God, so we fixed it with God first, we became transparent before God, we asked the Lord to sanctify our hearts, it would then lead to a fellowship with one another. Which I will not touch much because I will be talking about it when we jump to our to our implication. But let's clear there. Fellowship with God leads to fellowship with one another. What I want us to spend a little bit time answering is, why is this important? Why should I count myself in? Why, should, why could I not just sit it out? Like, forget it. Just fellowship with God. I'm out. Why? Verse 7 again. It says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. So this true fellowship, a fellowship with God in the light, and fellowship with fellow believers who are also seeking to live in the light, is where the sanctifying power of the gospel works. It is where growth happens. This is the kind of community where discipleship should be done. This is the reason I find this passage as foundational to the way we should do discipleship, life-to-life, gospel-centered, intentional discipleship. So discipleship is 
becoming more like Christ, the process of growing into Christ-likeness. And as far as John is concerned, growth in Christ-likeness or sanctification happens in the light. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The word cleanse there means purify or wash. That's simply what it means. The question there is, is this talking about justification? Now for those of you who just heard the, the word justification, the Bible pictures salvation like you are in the court. And as you are in the court, charges are charged to you, and you are guilty because you are a sinner before God. But God settled the payment through Jesus Christ, who paid all your sins, past, present, and future. So if you are in Jesus, you are justified before God. You don't have to suffer the punishment of your sins. You are accepted by God because of Jesus. That's justification. So the question here is, the blood of Jesus cleanses you. Is this justification or this is sanctification? And again, for those of us who just heard about sanctification, sanctification is for Christians. We are already in Jesus. And the process of growing to be like Christ is called sanctification. So as we read, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, is this justification or is this sanctification? I would like to argue that this is not justification because of two things. First, it is not justification because this happens when we live in the light. This cleansing happens when you live in the light. If it is justification, then living in holiness is a prerequisite before you get justification, which is not the teaching of Scripture. Living in holiness is not part to become saved. It is a result of salvation. So then, as we look at it, live in the light so that the blood of Jesus will cleanse you, then it is not justification. Secondly, this is not justification because the word cleanses is in its present tense, which means continuously happening. It's a daily thing that God is supposed to do in your life as you continue to live in holiness. And justification is one-time event. Sanctification is a lifetime process. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin refers then to our sanctification. So be in that community because in that kind of community, sanctification happens. The gospel, the sanctifying power of the gospel happens in there. And you would think, why do I need sanctification? I mean, I just need justification. Why do I need sanctification? Why is it important? By the way, so it is clear in the book of John especially that you need sanctification. You need to be sanctified. You need to see yourself transformed and changed into Christ-likeness because if there is no sanctification in, our life, in your life, he said, I am doubtful that you are justified. I am doubtful that you are Sang that you are truly saved. That's what we read earlier, First John chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. We don't have to read it again. I like how Peter said that one in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 8 to 11. 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacked these things is so nearsighted that he is blind, you are still blind, having forgotten that you are already clean from, his former, from your former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, and look at this word, to confirm your calling and election. So these things we need to confirm our, it is not the way we are called or elected, but, but we would realize that we are indeed chosen by God, called by God, because of the sanctification happening in our lives. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Let's, let's clear with this. I'm not talking about sanctification as part of your salvation, but as something that confirms that you are saved. So sanctification is very important because it confirms your justification. Transformation is very important because it confirms your salvation. Growing in Christ-likeness is so important as it is part of full redemption. Election, predestination, foreknowledge, predestination, just calling, justification, sanctification, and glorification. It's part of your redemption, so you cannot skip that part. It is part of full redemption. Therefore, every Christian needs the transforming power of the gospel to change them continually. We need that to work in our lives. However, the sanctifying or transforming or changing power of the gospel works when we are living together with God in holiness. It works best when we are living together with God in the light. Think about it. Probably the reason why we're not really growing is because we are staying our distance. We cannot remain in hiding with our sense. And we felt like that I'm so alone. I, I felt like nobody is with me. But even if you are with your brothers, if you do not come up and say this as the thing that I'm doing in my life, you will continue to feel like you're alone. So it is not enough to come to Sunday service or even a small group while hiding our sense. We have to deal it before God. Submit to accountability before our brothers and our sisters in the church because only then can the power of the gospel works to sanctify us. Um, I understand it is a bit intimidating and even scary, isn't it? However, do not be fooled into thinking that you can experience the sanctifying power of the gospel when you stay away from God's people because of your sins. So, what I'm saying is that if we really want transformation, we have to settle it with God and be with God's people. You need accountability. I need accountability in my life. I need brothers who will be with me and would not condemn me when I tell them I am guilty of lust in my heart. And that's the reason why if you look at verses 9 to 11, you fight for that transparency. You confess your sins.
So true gospel fellowship is defined by a holy fellowship with God and fellow believers where the sanctifying power of God works. We should seek this true fellowship. Think about with me for a moment when sometimes if people are too close, like, back off, you're too close. Right? When you're holding your phone and you're scrolling and then somebody's just looking, you're so nosy. Like, this is privacy. We always love privacy. Want, but it's good to our souls when we allow people to even examine if we are truly living in the light. So then there are three implications to discipleship. I'll be quick with this. If that is the kind of community that fosters growth, first, discipleship should be done with fellow holiness-pursuing believers. That's what we mean by life-to-life. Discipleship should be done with fellow holiness-pursuing believers. Growth cannot be done alone. Discipleship cannot be done by just listening to teaching while keeping our lives from our supposed-to-be accountability group. We cannot claim to have relationship with God and remain aloof from our brothers. Listen to what John said again. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It seems to suggest that Walking in holiness with God will inevitably, ay hindi po natin mapigilan. Ito po yung result ng, ng fellowship with God, and that is fellowship with one another. Look, listen carefully. John did not say, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, he did not say, then you, choose, you can choose to have fellowship. He said, if this is true, if you are in the light and God is in the light, you have fellowship. He said, He's declaring it. We have fellowship with one another. Again, people can be together all the time, but can be the farthest from each other. Have you ever thought, even, even couples, even husband and wife, they're living under one roof. They're living in, under one bed or on one bed. They're sleeping on one bed. They're inside one room, but they can be the farthest. They can be farthest from each other. Sins are kept. There are secrets being kept, and there's no true fellowship, even if they are together physically. So practically then, fellowship with God leads to transparency with our brothers. This is where discipleship happens. Live in the light. Come out of darkness. Let your brothers or sisters know what is happening with your life. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 8 to 11, you are light in the world already. At one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light. You are light in the Lord, actually. Walk as children of light. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Even expose them. Discipleship is done in the light. It is when everyone in our small group lets everyone know his or her life. Discipleship should not be done as intellectual discussion away from what is really happening with our lives. Discipleship is supposed to be life to life. 
So church, build relationship. Build relationship. If you want genuine relationship, you cannot escape the fact that you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to let people know how you are living your life. Secondly, gospel-centered discipleship. What we mean by that is that discipleship should be done with regular gospel-assured confession. And there should be confession of sins in our discipleship. Who dreads confession? Anyone? Who has never confessed in all of your life? Yet as far as scripture is concerned, confession is the door to freedom. It is the door to freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation, freedom from control of sin in your life, and freedom to enjoy life. Freedom to enjoy God. So if you look at it, confession is our friend. While keeping things is the lair of the devil. Sins, particularly. Look at how important is confession is when John said in verses 8 to 11. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Put it this way. As believers, we cannot not confess. As believers, we cannot not confess. And there are three things I want to show to you here quickly because we do not have time. Refusal to admit sin is unchristian-like. So, if we refuse that we have sinned so that we refuse to confess our sins, John is like saying, you're acting like you're not a Christian. And look at, look at what he said in verse 8. He said, if you do that, you deceive yourselves. I think deceiving ourselves is worse than deceiving others. So if you say, I have not sinned, that's worse because you are deceiving yourself and you know exactly you've sinned. Worse than that, if you jump to verse 10, he said, not only that you deceive yourself, you make God a liar who said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And plainly said, John is saying, if you say you have no sin, you are not a Christian. In verse 8, he said, the truth is not in you. In verse 10, he said, the word is not in you. It's simply saying, you are not a Christian at the end of the day. It's unchristian-like when we refuse to do so. Secondly, confession leads us to experience God's forgiveness in Christ. Confession leads us to experience God's forgiveness for us in Christ. Verse 9 again, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Listen, church, forgiving is God's liberty in Christ Jesus for believers. Forgiving is God's liberty. It is his freedom in Christ Jesus for believers. In Christ Jesus, the forgiveness of God is based on his faithfulness to his promise and justice. 
when the payment of our sins has been fully paid by Jesus, look, God is now abounding in grace and mercy to forgive us every time when we turn to him in confession. The reason for that is not because you confess per se, but because it is his liberty in Christ Jesus to dispense forgiveness for all who believe in Jesus every time they confess their sins. So when God forgives, he's acting out of his faithfulness to his promise and justice in Christ Jesus. This is the reason why we have the assurance to just confess and God will be faithful and just to forgive you. Have you ever experienced the forgiveness? You were in guilt for several days. You cannot believe that you have done the thing. You cannot believe that you chose to lie. You cannot believe that you have opened that site and you were in guilt and condemnation for so many days. Have you experienced when you come to God and say, Lord, I confess, I understand that I've done it and there's true repentance in your heart. Have you experienced the grace of God comforting you and giving your life again that you may enjoy life again? To experience God's forgiveness in this side of heaven is one of the best things that could ever happen to us. Third, confession leads us to sanctification. There we go again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And jump to the last part, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only that he is faithful and just to forgive, he is also faithful and just to cleanse us from all our sins. Like forgiveness, our sanctification, our cleansing is based on the finished work of Christ. God would not say, have you confessed enough? Have you cried enough? You know, have you fast enough so that I would forgive you? That's not the basis of God's forgiveness. He just wants you to agree with him. He just wants you to see sin the way he sees it. And when we do, then there's a promise of sanctification because he's doing it because of what Jesus has done in the cross. So there is an assurance of transformation when we confess our sins. We cannot not confess as it is unchristian-like. It is keeping us from experiencing God's forgiveness and it is keeping us from being transformed. Discipleship should be done where there is regular gospel-assured confession because no one grows without it. God does not do magic. Like, okay, when you wake up tomorrow, you're holy. And... No, the way God works, and the Puritans are saying there are three things that would happen. Acknowledgement of sin, acknowledgement of deliverance in Christ Jesus, and worshiping God out of our grateful hearts. The only way we can result to worship is when we acknowledge our sin, and acknowledge what Jesus has done in the cross. So, we should be regularly confessing our sins. We should. Regularly. We should be able to articulate our sins before God regularly. And I realize some of us do not even know how to confess. We should put into words what we did before God. Do not just say, 
God, I know it's a sin. Please forgive me. Put it into words. What have you done? And then as you say to God what you have done, look at it the way God looks at it. So when you say, when you lied, Lord, I lied, do not say, Lord, it was just a white lie. No, look at it the way God looks at it. You lied. Period. And then use what you did and how God looks at what you did to look at yourself. Do not just stop by saying, Lord, I lied. Do not stop there. Then look at yourself. David said, my sin is ever before me. Now, what did David do after? He said, surely I am worse. I'm sinful at my mother's birth. From what you did to who you are, I lied. And Lord, this is hard, but I am accepting before you that I am such a liar. And the worst that you feel with yourself, wherein you, you could not, you want to vomit. Sometimes I want to vomit, like, Lord, I realize I did it again that I may get the praises. And I understand, Lord, that I am a person who lives by the praises of the people. I want to vomit. I cannot accept myself. But the more worse I think, I see myself. And yet I understand that God loves me and continues to pursue me. My heart is crushed in all humility, and I result in worship and praise. That is why confession is very important before God. But listen, we should also articulate our sins before our brothers. The confession here clearly involves confession to one another. Because the context is fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. The way fellowship with God leads to fellowship with one another is the way confession to God leads to confession to one another. If our, if our fellowship with God is hindered by our sins, by our unconfessed sins, our fellowship with one another will also be hindered by our unconfessed sins. Now, I'm not saying that like God, you should confess your sin to me. <laughs> That's not what we're saying. Because in God, little sin would right away disrupt our fellowship with God. But towards one another, there are sins we need to confess because it is now beginning to disrupt our fellowship. You are in the small group, but you feel like you are alone with your sin. That sin has to be confessed with our brothers. So this is where I also have to stress that our fellowship should be God-centered, where sinners are not condemned because everyone are only forgiven sinners. A gospel-centered community who readily identifies with the confessing brother, quickly saying, don't worry, brother, I am a fellow sinner, and affirms our love to that, towards that brother is crucial to develop this Gospel-centered confession happening in our small groups. Is there confession in your small group? <sighs> or we're still trying to say, I never failed to read my Bible. Ikaw na. 
Confession is safe in this kind of community. If you're threatened right now, like I could not entrust myself to these people, Pastor. Understand very well. Understand very well. It is safe. Because we, you know where confession is not supposed to be safe? Before God. It's supposed to crush you. But you are safe because of what Jesus has done. As we confess towards our fellow brothers, they are fellow sinners with us. So it is safe. It is safe to confess. Don't be alone with your sin. It's heavy. It's, you're always in fear. Satan has a foothold on you. Remember yung story, ang itik? Remember? Okay, for those of you who knows, you laugh. But there were brothers. The other one, I forgot the story. I think he killed the itik. And then he takes hold on it and he would tell the parents who, if he would be asked by his parents to wash the plate, he would go to that brother and say, wash the plate. The brother said, no, you're the one who they asked to play it. He said, ang itik. And he'd go wash it. <laughs> In the same way, Satan can come and say, ang itik. But if we confess it before God, we'll be freed from it. And he does not have a hold on us. Thirdly, discipleship then should be intentional. Discipleship should be done with full conviction that it is a community project. It's a community project. Do you have that burden? Do you have that conviction? That if I want to grow, I cannot just be in my room, read my Bible, read this, and, and, and you expect to grow. No, that's not the design of God. That's part. But sanctification is a community project. We grow together. You grow together with your small group. And refusing to be part of a community where sins will be dealt well, where your sins will be dealt, is choosing to stay in sin and refusing to grow in Christ-likeness. So if there is undeniable desire in your heart, if there is undeniable desire to be transformed because you are a true Christian, Every true Christian have this undeniable desire to grow in Christ-likeness. Then you do not have a choice but to yield to the design of God. Listen to this. This is not the design of our church. This is the design of God for our sanctification. That you will be part of a gospel community who together fights to overcome sin. So you don't go to your small group so that you would know who to vote. <laughs> and that's, that's part of it. But we fight sin together. We pray together. We enlighten each other with God's word. The Christian journey is a community journey. Sanctification is a community project. No true Christian who repels the Christian community. No true Christian who doesn't want to be with your brothers and sisters. On the contrary, he is attracted and pulled towards it. It's good to be reminded of the exhortation of the writer of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, 24 to 25, he said, And let us consider how to steer up one another to love and good works 
not neglecting them to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as, you, as the day drawing near. Be intentional. Be part of that. Don't run away from a group that holds you accountable. That is the best group for you. That is, you will be guarded. You will be helped to overcome your sin. So we who claim to have fellowship with God and truly seek growth in Christ-likeness should not fear but pursue discipleship where there is true transparency and gospel-assured confession of sins. Don't fear it. Pursue it. That's the best community that you can ever be. We all have once been working to make progress, right? And the truth is, and, and many times we want to do it alone. We, we want to even, or not to let people that we are really working hard. And because we want to surprise them, ta-da, look at me, I'm now good. It's true with players. <laughs> Some players, when I was a player, they wake up while everybody are still sleeping. And then when, they, when you wake up, it's as if they just wake up. They just woke up. And yet they already run five miles. We want to do it. Some of us who are students, we want to do it alone. Some of us in the church would even read books because we want to grow alone. And then we want to surprise the people in the church. Like, look at what I know. Truth of the matter is not, you are not looking for progress. You want to exalt yourself. We want to exalt ourselves. We seek not to learn to live life alone. That's not the design of God. It's okay when people see your flaws. It's okay. When people see that you do not know your, you know a little, it's fine. People are there to help you out. That is how to grow in our Christian life. We do it in a community. So do not hide your sins. Do not hide your sins. Draw near to Christ and to his people. It's safe. It's safe when our sins are exposed. It's safe because we are assured of his forgiveness and the love of the people of God when we truly confess. Let's come before God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for your love. And Lord, I pray that in this church, we would not remain aloof or standing from the distance just so that we can keep our sins. But we go to the light in confession and journey life together as brothers. Lord, I pray for your grace and your mercy for us that we would see ourselves growing in Christ's likeness. Your name be glorified. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.